Welcome back or welcome to the Single Track Podcast. As regular listeners know, most conversations on this platform take place at the intersection of business, culture, and performance within the sport of mountain ultra trail running. This episode captures that spirit perfectly. On today's show, we have the co-founder and current chairman of Strava, Mark Ganey. As many of you probably already know, Strava is a fitness tracking and social media app designed primarily for endurance athletes, and it's had a considerable impact on the culture of our sport in particular. As Mark will explain, Strava was born out of the desire to recreate that community element of team sports that's typically strongest in high school and collegiate settings, and to leverage the power of the internet to reinstate this phenomenal social support system for athletes at every stage of life. Mark's thesis was that amazing things happen in this teammate environment. You might push a little harder in workouts. You might stay more motivated about your sport in general. You might be more uh, held more accountable uh, in training cycles, and you might exercise more, even when it's being replicated digitally. And we get into all that. Specifically, Mark and I go in depth about his entrepreneurial philosophy of going an inch wide and a mile deep how it applies to the creation of Strava and the importance of separating go-to-market strategy from overall vision. We talk about the debate over building a social media platform versus a training platform, whether Strava can invest in both simultaneously and still delight customers. We look at the ways that Strava thinks about investing in community building on the platform and increasing the serendipity of athlete connections. We look at the pros and cons of increasingly bridging the physical world and the virtual world when it comes to exercise and sport. Uh, we look at what the future of sport might look like for amateur athletes and how Strava is taking that into consideration in their product roadmap. We also look at how Strava can help content creators and business owners active in the endurance community. And we have a little fun uh, riffing on various potential Strava features and looking at whether they're good ideas or bad ideas. Of course, I should say with an asterisk, no promises made there. So with that, let's get right into it. This is episode seven. Welcome to the show, Mark Ganey. Mark Ganey, welcome to the Single Track Podcast. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks, Finn. Well, to start, I would love for you to talk about the life experiences, the community experiences that informed the establishment of Strava. Sure. Yeah. Well, okay. So we got to go back to the previous century. I'm going to, I'm going to age myself here quickly, but you do have to go back to the late eighties, which is when I met my co-founder, Michael Horvath. We met on the crew team at Harvard. We were both rowers together back in the late eighties, early nineties. And the reason that was informative to Strava was really twofold. One, it's where our friendship developed. that's now lasted 30 plus years, but more importantly, we had this really magical experience in the Harvard Boathouse called Newell Boathouse. And when I say magical, yeah, we had the races against teams and so forth. But really what it was, was anybody who's an athlete, it's the daily grind. It was the, it was the trash talking. It was the camaraderie in the locker room. It was the, the early morning sessions followed by the late afternoon competitions. It was the you know winter training. It was the hanging around late and talking to the boatman, the guy who was taking care of our boats and really keeping us moving. It just, there was a whole culture around that, that unfortunately when we graduated, you know, I always joke, it just poof, disappeared. And so as early as 1995, we literally had constructed a business plan that said, 
we need this back. We love being active. It's hard to stay active. We know we're better people when we are active and when we're participating in sports, but man, we need the team. And so in 1995, we literally created a business plan that said, how could we use this thing called the internet to, to bring our buddies back together and maybe support each other as we're off now in you know, different parts of the globe? Now, the idea was sound, but the timing was a little off. And so we ended up doing a very different business. We, we built an enterprise software company, it doesn't matter, but we, we ended up building something that taught us how much fun it was to be entrepreneurs. And so thankfully in 2008, 2009 timeframe, we sort of brought both ideas back together. Hey, let's go start another company because we're having so much fun doing that. But let's go back to that original concept we had and, and see if perhaps the time had changed, which it had. We were really fortunate. Timing yeah. is everything. Now, looking back at what inspired the formation, what parts of the experience in, in college and high school on these team sports have been best represented on the platform to date? And what are you still trying to recreate from that experience? Yeah, that's a good question. I think we have many of the teammate elements. So I'll think about it in terms of you know, what we have today inside Strava, I think is a very good sort of sense of sort of finding your teammates. You, you don't have to have a network of thousands of people on Strava to be fun. You can have two or three of your closest friends, but if they're into the same sports you are and you're posting together, that camaraderie, that you know, kind of virtual high-fiving, that kind of checking. I, I'm always amazed if I go three or four days without posting to Strava, you know, my buddies will start checking in. Hey, what's wrong? What's going on? Where, you know, where are you? Kind of thing. And, and so I think we've got the teammate aspect down. I'm excited about Strava's future because I think we can bring and we are beginning to bring the rest of the, the community. So if you think about the, the rowing community we had, we had coaches and boatmen and spectators yeah. and, and you know, frankly, other venues. We all talk about the river that we rode on, but you know, we also trained in other places. We trained in, in, we trained in Harvard Stadium. We, we trained on the, on the paths we were running. And so I think that Strava now is beginning to understand the way in which we can bring the greater community, different kinds of sports and activities, all those things that are important to an athlete's life into the experience. And you're starting to see that happen, both with our partners, as well as new features and so forth. If there's a piece that's hard, if I, you know, answering your last question, like what's the hardest one? Yeah. You know, the one thing that, that I know we had in that boat, there's a lot of history. There's just, there is, there was something magical about just the history and anybody who's been fortunate enough to be on, you know, just probably a great team that's got a long storied history to it. That just takes time. So, you know, maybe it'll take decades and, and we hope that Strava is around for decades, but that's the one that you can't just manufacture. You can't just put it in a feature. It, it's right. got to grow. And that's probably the hardest part. And I actually, I want to come back to this later in the conversation, because I think that the debate between building out a training platform versus a community platform is an interesting one as well. But I'd love to talk about entrepreneurship for a second. You've spoke at length about this inch wide, mile deep philosophy of entrepreneurship. And I think our audience would be really fascinated to hear more about this. What do you mean by that? So where it comes from, I feel like there's always this tension as an entrepreneur, you, you particularly if you're you know, you're trying to fund a business, you're trying to raise capital, you're trying to, you know, you, you have huge aspirations. I mean, from day one, we had a business plan that had a vision of what would it be like to support the world's athletes and, and have a platform where they could come together, regardless of sport or activity or, you know, expertise, could this be the home? And so that's the vision. In terms of our strategy, you're right, we, we now have had two companies, Michael and I, in our existence, we've been fortunate to start two successful 
you know, companies. And in yeah. both cases, we went an inch wide, a mile deep. And what we mean by that is we picked one go-to-market segment and we wanted to go and be very authentic to them. So in the case of Strava, despite the fact that neither of us are, are you know, world-class cyclists by any stretch. Michael's actually a very good cyclist. I'm not. I, I tend to end up in the hospital when I ride my bike. But but we picked cycling as a go-to-market as a sort of our first activity area, our first sport, and our first audience. And we went really deep with them, really trying to understand what their needs were, what they were getting from their data, what they wanted, particularly post-ride, which is kind of historically our bread and butter. Sort of you've gone, you've ridden, you've uploaded to your Garmin plug that Garmin into the back of your computer and share it with Strava and we'll see what we can do. And we were ridiculed. We were told for a number of years, you know, you're a clever little lifestyle business. You're, you know, it's, it's not a large addressable market, but I think what, what some folks tend to miss is that what we were doing is developing leadership. We were now the number one app for cycling. We, began to sort of develop this confidence that in doing so, we could think about expansion. We could begin to understand ways in which we could grow the business. Mm. And this has happened twice. I can tell you the same thing. The first company was called Kana. It was named after my dog. It was, we figured out how to address customer email response. This was back in the days when the internet was just being born and companies didn't know how to literally answer their customer email. And we created this thing that we were told was a feature. It wasn't even a product, let alone a company. And four years later, that company was publicly traded, you know, had a market cap north of $10 billion and it was a really good business. So we're just big believers that when you're really authentic yeah. and you go deep with specific audiences, you can build great product market fit. And if you do that, you earn the right then to look for opportunities for expansion. So you've already touched on this a little bit, but can you talk more about that difference between the go-to-market strategy and the overall vision for the business and how that's played out at Strava? I mean, the vision was always clear. I would call myself, you know, I guess I'm a runner by background, but I love all kinds of different sports. I, I love to ski in the winter and I love to surf and I love to run and I, you know, I ride my mountain bike and I've done triathlons in the past. And so we always had this vision that regardless of your sport or activity, could Strava be that place that supports you and can, can be that home for you? But our go-to-market was we couldn't possibly address the needs for every one of those sports when we were getting started. You know, we were five of us or six of us. So our go-to-market was let's pick one audience. Let's think about who they are and how we're going to go after them. Let's go have conversations with them and let's build for them. And then over time, as I mentioned, there were two things that happened. One was we sort of felt we earned the right to begin investing in a new category. Yep. But almost more importantly, our own customers, our cyclists were actually helping us understand where we should expand. Because like myself, they were multi-sport athletes. And most of us are, you know, unless you're, unless you're a professional being paid a lot of money to do one sport, you're going to go and you're going to go with the seasons. You're going to go with what the, what the geography gives you and what the weather gives you. And so that was for us, vision was kind of this thing we aspire to long-term and frankly, we'll probably never get to. Okay. Whereas go to market is very much a strategy that you're deploying in a given year, or, you know, a given time frame. So to flip that, how do you continue to serve that core audience while still expanding into new sports like swimming and climbing and weightlifting and all of these other sports that weren't core to Strava in the beginning? Yeah. 
Yeah, you're right. We brought up the phrase frequently would come up, particularly in the kind of 2012, 13, 14 timeframe when we were just beginning to launch running for Strava. And our concern was exactly that. Here we'd gone this inch wide mile deep with our cycling community. We knew we had lots of features we still wanted to build for them. And today, here we are 11, 12 years later, we still feel like we have a lot of unleft business that we want to do for our cyclists, for our cycling community. Yet we knew that as part of the growth strategy, in part for the business, expanding our market opportunity, but also in part for our customers. As I just mentioned, many of them were cyclists and runners and swimmers you know, doing multiple things that we had to think about how we could expand. So abandoning the core was just kind of a, it was just something, let's talk consciously about it. Yeah. This isn't about leaving one thing behind to go pursue something else, but it's about continuing to support them as we expand. And we were very fortunate. I think at Strava, two things happened. One was our own athletes were doing multiple things. So the kinds of features we were building out could service across a broad spectrum of sports. The other thing is we were transparent. I mean, if you go back to the first time we launched running, we actually kept two separate apps. We actually had a Strava cycling app yep. and a Strava rowing app. And we tried to go and be very authentic to both groups. And it was only after a few years, I think it was mid-2014, that we merged the two into one app. And even then, we were very transparent. If you're a cyclist and that's all you love to do, and you just want to know about the Peloton, and you're going to be reading about the tour you know, every day during July, you can find your group on Strava. And you will never be exposed to running. But if you're an ultra trail runner and that's your world, you can find that on Strava as well. And, and I think over time, well, it's never perfect. And we, we try to be transparent when we screw it up. I think that we've at least tried to live authentically at Strava and, and really be the company that recognizes the unique needs of any of these different audiences. Well, I want to come back to a point that we were uh, discussing earlier in that is the opportunity costs of building a social media app versus a training app. And I think Strava does both well in a lot of different ways. My question about this is, can Strava do both simultaneously very well? Like, can they work towards being a social media app and a training app at the same time? And in that process, what specific trade-offs are you considering um, as you're building out this company? Yeah, that's a fun one, Finn. Nobody's asked me about this before. It's, I mean, my short answer is absolutely yes. We can do both, but there's a caveat to that. The reason we can is because it's finding the marriage between the two. It's not about being the world's best training app or the world's best social app for athletes. It's about understanding when you combine elements of training with social, amazing things happen. I'll give full credit to some other training apps that are out there. We don't have to name them, but there's some amazing stuff that I still use today. If I'm sure. single player mode and I'm really trying to go deep in, in analyzing my running power or something like that. Absolutely. Strava's not going to go 10 levels deep into that. But when you begin to look at the ways in which we can combine elements of social with training, yeah. You know, for me, I'm 53 years old. One of the first things that I want to do, I'm not going to own many KOMs out there, but if I can understand contextually how I'm doing relative to my peers, that's the kind of thing that keeps me motivated. If I can understand sort of that my training is on par with someone my age, training in my area, training for the same type of event that I'm currently training for, and I can begin to have what we call context 
That's really powerful. And so in the case of Strava, we still talk about single player mode. You can be on Strava today, not have a single follower. And we hope that you'll get, you know, a really good training log and, and you can dig into some analytics at, at 50,000 feet. But we wouldn't pretend to be the best single player system out there. Our system is designed to think about the way in which we incorporate social into training. We've got this phrase we've used for years, which is that people keep people active. Yeah, that's that's what Michael and I learned when we were on the team together. It's like when you have teammates, just really great things happen. You're more motivated. You're held accountable. You might push a little harder than you otherwise would. And so we're trying to bring that social element to training in a way that keeps people going. I want to pull on the on the multiplayer mode thread a little bit more. Can you talk about ways that Strava is currently investing in opportunities to build community on top of the platform, like for athletes to serendipitously meet each other and for groups to form and to communicate and to share experiences? Sure. I mean, I can quickly list, you know, a half dozen things that are out there, everything from the way that we have now segments on Strava with local legends and leaderboards and various elements of performing. So assuming most of your listeners, you know, a segment is just a a piece of trail or road out there that you can define. It, It comes historically from Again, addressing cyclist needs where we learned from cyclists that they love their climbs. Mm. Didn't matter whether it was a five-mile ride or a 100-mile ride. There was usually some iconic climb in the middle of that ride that was really important to them. And so Strava figured out how to auto-identify that climb and allow them to see how they were doing. And they were really happy about that. But then they immediately said to us, hey, could you also tell me how my buddy did on that climb two days earlier. And so segments were born out of this sort of conversation that we were having with cyclists. And if you fast forward to today, I won't get the number right, but we have tens of millions of segments that are out there. And it's an opportunity for people to, if you don't even know someone, I I just got told that I had lost a local legend status here on on a local climb near my house. I just so happened I know the person. And so now we've got this great social thing going back and forth because I am going to get that status back. So we've got those. We've got, we launched group challenges earlier this summer, which is just a fun way to allow individuals like you and I to to challenge our friends. And it could be something like challenging them to a fastest element on a segment, or it could be a challenge that's more around a group effort. Hey, let's all put in, you know, no less than hundred miles this month, the training or a certain elevation gain, or there's all kinds of different categories. There's simple little things when, you know, if I go out, just having Strava auto-identify when I've trained with a group and then coming back and being able to realize, oh, I, you know, didn't even realize they were on Strava. And I am able to connect with new friends that I hadn't realized if I showed up at a run club or a, a local 5K, something like that. So, yeah, lots of places where we're just, we're trying to understand those social connections, but in authentic ways, right? We don't, we're not trying to push, you know, <laughs> add your address book to Strava and that, that, that doesn't work. That's, this is, this is about finding those authentic connections that um, again, when it works right and you start to get the kudos flowing in and you start to get people commenting, that's what we find keeps people motivated. Well, are there ways that athletes still need to be able to connect on this platform that you are thinking of building for them? Like being able to meet up to form groups, to share stories more effectively. What's still left to build in this regard? Uh, I mean, Finn, it's pretty funny. Yeah, we're, we're 11 years in and Michael and I always say, we feel like we're just getting started. Like we call it the noise of opportunity because there are so many things that we want to keep building for our athletes. And you're hitting on this great area. We've got this, 
what I would call a pretty basic club infrastructure inside Strava today. And frankly, during COVID, we just saw this explosion in the creation of clubs and these virtual groups and, and people just wanting to connect together. On top of that, we have the group challenges that I just discussed where yeah. you know small groups can now kind of challenge each other to different things. And so we believe that this concept of groups, particularly when it comes to, to sports, yeah. is paramount. And you know, without going into details on every little future roadmap, we're really excited about ways in which we can help groups function more seamlessly. And so whether that's coordinating meetups, yeah. coordinating events, even something like Beacon. I don't know if you saw, you know, most recently we announced that we're we've made Beacon free to everybody because it's fascinating. We're watching the way people are using Beacon. Not only is it a great safety feature, right? This so this is a feature where if you turn Beacon on you start a run or a ride or whatever you're doing, it will text up to three of your friends or relatives where you are, and then it'll track you. And they don't need the app. They can just follow via, via text and a map that comes in on their phone. Yeah. But we're also seeing people use it to, to hook up. It's like, hey, I'm leaving now, you know, meet me at such and such intersection, you know, in the next 15 minutes. And by sending that beacon, you know, you're able to connect. So just those kinds of things and helping groups be more effective. Yeah. It's got a really exciting roadmap. Now, and one thing I'll, I'll add here, I am very empathetic to the fact that you probably personally receive a thousand feature requests a day. And you probably heard all of them too, but I'm still going to drop a few here. I'm curious about improving the discovery mechanism. Uh, on this platform. And in particular, I've seen that suggested carousel where you can see all these different people to follow. But I'm curious if there's any plans in the future to build in a discovery mechanism for people that are training at your similar level, people training for similar races as you. Because I know you've said that having followers makes people more active and I couldn't agree more. But I would also say that at the same time, it's incredibly hard to grow a following on Strava unless you're incredibly active at local races, but COVID's kind of changed that part. So how do we increase the serendipity of connections on this platform? Yeah, no, you're, you're, uh, I think the product team would, would love this conversation because they're knee deep in thinking through what the workflow could look like and, and what discovery could look like. And, you know, you, you can see it actually not so much with other behaviors. You can see it right now in terms of the discovery we've created around maps and routes and just discovering places to, to go and train. So that's been a particular effort of our on our part over this last 12, 18 months. And excited about the continued evolution just of that area alone. But you're touching on one where you're exactly right. If you begin to think about the data we have, given that we see what goals people are setting, we see what events they're training for and can begin to map common things. The line we're always careful of, of not wanting to cross is understanding the the difference between helping people discover opportunity versus maintaining privacy and maintaining that sense of, and so we're trying to figure out ways in which we can expose sort of the way in which people are training and doing things uh, so they can help one another if they so desire. And I think that it's just going to take some time for us to through what that, again, what that experience feels like. But no, as I said to you earlier, we, we got a long list of things that we're excited about doing. And I think it's a good problem. You know, Strava should be around hopefully for decades to come because yeah, this, this stuff is hard to do. I was just going to say, it's an awesome problem to have. I want to get meta for a little bit because we do that on this podcast sometimes. When it comes to exercise, and I'm sure you, you deal with this, you've been dealing with this for a decade. When it comes to exercise, what do you see as the biggest ramifications of bridging the real world and the virtual world? And what yeah. are you also excited about as these worlds merge closer together? Data is everywhere now. And there's never been more opportunity to use tech to our advantage. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, I've got a personal experience. I think the ramifications, and this is going to go back now many years, but I'm now a recovering triathlete. There was a time when I was knee deep training for Ironman and, and working very hard to qualify for Hawaii and so forth. And I will attest to the fact that I was spending way too much while on my bike, staring down at a particular bicycle computer, measuring every kind of output I could in the hopes of like, and I had an accident and I had an accident that frankly cost me 13 surgeries and, and really set me back. But it was also a pivotal moment in my maturity as an athlete, because the next time that I finally was able to go out on my bike and, and ride, I was riding in the same places that I'd been riding for years. And I was seeing things out in the scenery that I had never seen before. Like, where did those rocks come from? Where are those rock formations? Where, you know, where are those beautiful hills? And so I think when you talk about the ramifications, there's some balance here that we're always striking between digital becoming intrusive in right. one's training versus being complementary. We say all the time at Strava, like our mission is to have you put the phone in your pocket and go and enjoy your workout. Like it's yeah. not, in fact, one of the things that we track at Strava is the ratio between time being active and time in the app. Right now it's about a 50 to one ratio. So for every 50 minutes you're active, you're in the app about a minute. That's incredible, that. by the way. That's yeah. incredible. And, and, and that's because of the business model we have, we don't need to, to conjure ways to get our community to constantly be looking at our app and, you know, eyeballs there and, you know, looking at ads. Cause that's not our business. Our business is that we want to build something that is valuable enough that someone pays us $5 a month. And in exchange, they have a really great time using the Strava features, but they don't have to be in there to do that. And so for me, if done wrong, digital is intrusive. When done right, it just enhances. It just, we call it surprise and delight. We love nothing better than when I've finished a ride, I can get home. You know, what's the one thing I want, I want to save it. I want to put some photos in and, you know, kind of let the, let the kudos fly and, and, you know, start to, to share with other people. So that to me is, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but for me, there's, there's an art to doing that right. No, I think you actually, I had a slightly different opinion about where this was going, but you changed my mind with that stat. When I think of most social media platforms, people get a bad taste in their mouth because they're acting passively on the platform and they're consuming content. They're not really active participants. And in this case, users are very generative. They're uploading to the platform. It's something they've done in real life. Almost everybody is a content creator on the platform just by nature of the platform. So that's fascinating. And that stat of usage is incredible. Yeah, you're, you're, you're spot on. We're both incredibly fortunate to have the kind of creators. And that's exactly what we have. We have all these amazing creators that, you know, we're hoping that in creating, they're getting something of value in return. But that's, yeah, that's what keeps us going. And I think that there's plenty of opportunity for that in the future. When you ask, where do I get excited about the digital and real world sort of merging? I just think this, the sky's the limit in terms of what we're seeing. We're literally seeing it at the spectator level. The, if you look at spectator sports and, and the way in these have merged, like I, I find it fascinating now The the way I watch a, an NFL game on a Sunday afternoon is completely different today than it was just a few years ago. Right. I mean, 
I happen to be in a fantasy league with my two sons. And, you know, now I'm like, I'm half tracking my favorite team, the 49ers, and I'm half tracking like the opponent because he's got some player that, you know, you're watching the stats and how many receptions. I mean, and and so there's all these kind of elements that are in there. And I don't think that that's ruined the game for me. I, I enjoy that. Or the other one that's got to me just this past year, I became addicted to the Formula One series on Netflix where they, they kind of have taken us knee deep into Formula One racing, which I'm not a motorhead. I never paid attention to auto racing, but oh my gosh, has Formula One done a fantastic job of kind of putting you in the driver's seat, giving you the kinds of information you need. And yet at the same time, the personalities and things that have nothing to do with digital. And so I think we're seeing it at the spectator level. And as we bring that to the participant, to the participatory sports, uh, it's going to be really fun because I think that I think you can have both. I couldn't agree. And that Formula One example is great. I'm thinking what Strava does, amazing. One of the amazing things that Strava does, we now have incredible insight into the training logs of some of our favorite athletes in the sports. I mean, like I'm an ultra runner. I follow the top of the sport. I'm a huge fan. I get to watch Jim Walmsley upload every single day. And it's incredible. I get to see every single training block leading up to Western States or UTMB. It's incredible. And historically, those people trained in mystery. And now it's all, at least for a lot of them, it's all out there. And that's an incredible breakthrough. I, I love it. Yeah, we are so fortunate that they they find enough value that they're willing to to put their their training logs up there. That wasn't always the case. We uh, it's been really funny to watch the relationship with the professional athletes out there. But I think that you're exactly right. What a treat for you and I to be able to see that it's, and talk about inspirational. I mean, if they can get out there and do that, okay, I can go do my five mile run uh, at six a.m. in the morning. One more thing there. If anybody at Strava can somehow persuade Courtney DeWalter to get on the platform. That'd be incredible because she's one of my favorite athletes too. I got to know what she's doing in training. Finn, there's two people in the world that if I could see it tomorrow, you name one, Courtney. In fact, I just listened to her on another podcast. I'm like, oh, you know, it's just because I love her mindset, mm. but it would be so much fun to just watch her week. Yeah. And the other one is Kipchoge. I oh. mean, I was like, I, oh, I would do anything to just see what is he doing? Where is he? What kind of miles is he putting in? Because yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. At least on the on the running side, for sure. Yeah. So anyways, I think that is one element of Strava that I don't think gets enough credit. The fact that we get insight into these elite athletes in the same way that we watch football every Sunday and behind the scenes looks with like uh, Formula One stuff. It's, it's incredible. And that's great. Yeah. One more, one more question here that gets a little bit meta. What is your thesis on what the future of sport looks like for amateur athletes and how is Strava taking that into consideration as it's building out the platform? Ooh. Like what uh, new problems need to be solved, for example, and like how can the internet further build athlete camaraderie and training capabilities, that kind of stuff? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I was so pleasantly surprised by watching the Olympics just a few weeks ago because I went in, honestly, somewhat skeptical and cynical that here had been delayed a year and I felt badly for Tokyo. And and then I, I got to admit, the performances and the stories, I mean, once again, I was just totally inspired. And I think in answer to your question, what was beautiful about that is that you just we've broken down so many of these geographic barriers. And so we mean, think about Strava. We're 90 million athletes strong now. We had 2 million athletes every month. We're in 195 countries. And so I really think that this future, what's happening here in the meta sport is that you can be anywhere in the world and be very much, you can be connected to Jim Walmsley and the kind of training that he's doing. 
you can, in theory, go and do an ultra in one part of the world and feel like you're in some ways participating in that same event that's actually being held physically on the other side of the globe. Uh, now, it's not perfect, but I think that's the kind of work Strava is trying to do is to figure out how to unlock these barriers, whether they're geographic, whether they're cultural. We get really excited. Candidly, we get really excited about looking at how we can break down some of these barriers around anti-racism. Mm. And you know, we've... Java's learned a lot and in the last two years. We, we will be the first to acknowledge our eyes were opened with the rest of the world after the things that happened here in the United States. And we really started to do some deep dives into, you know, imagine if you're a black runner in the United States today, yeah. you and I can go out and the worst thing we've got to figure out is which shoes do I want to put on and how far am I going to go? Right. If you're a black athlete in the United States today, you need to worry about which direction you go, what you're actually wearing. Can you put that hoodie on? Do you mm. need to run with somebody else? I mean, mm. these are things that had never been on my radar. So if you want to ask me about the future of sport, what we can do, if this is truly going to be inclusive and something that's available to all, which we believe it has to be, that's the kind of work that we're excited about doing. And I think that it serves everybody. This isn't just a United States problem. This is a global phenomenon that it should be equal in all. So I, I love this. And how does this translate into future product features? Like when you're facilitating this kind of world where it's easier for any type of person across the world to exercise safely and enjoyably, what does that look like from a new product feature standpoint? So I'll give you two examples. I'll give you one that's very much singular in nature, individual athlete. And then I'll give you one mm. that's a really exciting service that we developed at the single level. We talked about Beacon earlier. Mm. So Beacon was historically a product that was, or a feature that was part of the subscription. And we just recently made it free to everybody. And why? Because we think that, that an element of safety should be something we shouldn't be charging for. We should put that out there and, and for you to have some friends that are tracking you. So that's just a simple example. We did it for many reasons, but I think it, it helps on this front of thinking about access and equality. I'll give you another area, though. It doesn't get a lot of mention, but it's really important inside Strava, and that is Strava Metro. This is a service that we built out for, gosh, it's probably been now five or six years ago. Originally, it was actually a, a business. And what it was, was we were aggregating lots of activity data in major urban areas and then partnering with city planners and local governments. And they were actually buying a license to this. It was all anonymized. It was okay. uh, yeah. just aggregated heat data. But it was to give them insight into the way in which people were moving through their city at different times of year, different times of day, et cetera. And last September, just over a year ago, we went ahead and this is another service that we started giving away for free to qualified partners. Uh, because what we saw was that the nominal revenue we were generating was not nearly as powerful as the impact we were having in these cities. So we went from supporting, I think it was about 100 cities worldwide. If I'm not mistaken now, we're about 1,500 cities across the globe okay. that are now leveraging Strava Metro data to really help them rethink their, their infrastructure. How are they rethinking bicycle paths and pedestrian paths so that they can make these areas safer and, and more inclusive? And we can look and see where the heat is in a city, meaning like the, the activity level. Yeah. We can also see where there's no activity level. And there are some stark lines in some major cities around the world where it's just clear who has access and who doesn't. And so now by working with these city planners, we can really begin to rethink what that infrastructure can look like, where they can make investments, 
COVID has accelerated this. We've yeah. seen these situations where they've closed streets and so forth and really opened up urban environments for people to be out, whether it's walking with their families or commuting by bicycle. And so those are the kinds of things that are really exciting inside Strava that if you'd asked us 10 years ago, never could have imagined. But now having that impact, it's, it's really powerful. I love this. Do you have any favorite case studies you like to cite for how Strava Metro has been used in any particular cities or towns across the world? Well, I know, for instance, one of the ones that gets talked about a lot, we spent a lot of time with Transport for London, which is a major transportation organization there. Fantastic group rethinking. They've got significant problems. Pre-COVID, they were estimating that, I think it was by like 2026, somewhere in the mid-20s, they were going to run out of public transportation seats. When you looked at the sheer volume of people coming in and out of their city every day, you looked at the number of cars, you looked at double-decker buses and the subway system and the tube and so forth, there just was not going to be capacity. And so in working with Strava, it's not that we've come up with the solutions and we start moving streets around, but what you can start to understand with Strava, rather than just having counters out on an intersection, you can actually begin to really understand how do traffic patterns change in terms of commuting based on time of day? Because it's going to be very different Monday at 9 a.m. during the peak of rush hour versus a Saturday afternoon. And so by doing that, all of a sudden it gives organizers and planners some flex. Maybe they don't have to go and completely build a new road, but perhaps they can adjust what's open or not open to various kinds of traffic, depending on the day of the week and time. So I've got a team that I'm happy to we could get you data and you could share with your audience uh, later because there's a team that obviously works really closely with Transport for London's and others that can walk through the success rates. But what I do know is that it's that work that's happening and they're excited enough that they keep re-upping and, and keep looking for more insight from us. And that's the kind of work that we're just digging into now. So cool. Let's pivot here. This is a very self-serving question. I'm a content creator, so I have a podcast. I have a weekly newsletter, you know, send out emails, et cetera. Are there any plans to help business owners like myself that are active in the endurance community monetize and build their audience? Yeah. Remember what I mentioned earlier, I think that there's this next phase. If we were to replicate what we had in the boathouse, it would be this expanding of the community. And I think you're touching on exactly this. We're, we're very cognizant that we're trying to nurture this community. We have 90 million athletes that have lots of needs and mm-hmm. there's no way in a million years that Strava is going to meet all those needs on its own. We, we right. do not have the development resources, the time, right. the energy. And so, for instance, we opened up our API, gosh, it's probably been now six, seven, eight years ago. I think we have 75,000 API developers today. So we're, we are actively trying to understand how we can serve as a platform yeah. that not only enables these athletes to interact with each other, but enables these athletes to interact with whether it's content producers like yourself, yeah. whether it's coaches, whether it's retailers, whether it's mm. major brands, race directors, uh, race directors and event organizers. Mm. There's this whole ecosystem out there that are doing amazing things for athletes. And Strava's vision is, can we serve as that integral platform that enables that connection between the athlete and the service provider? And we know we're early days. We're trying to figure out exactly what that looks like. We fail if our athletes become product, right? There's the the famous line from the social dilemma where- If you're not paying for it. You're not paying for the product, you are the product. Yeah. We don't want that. So 
we would never think of you as a customer. We would think of you as a partner. Mm. And let's partner together to think about how we bring shared services and features yeah. to this global Strava community. That's the mindset, but we're early days. We're trying to build out that team right now. We're trying to understand what kind of needs do you have as one of our partners? How are you best served? How can we make sure that people understand what it is you're doing and what they should subscribe to and vice versa? Yeah. And again, these are all totally self-serving thoughts on my end, but currently I have to go to like six other platforms to, to build my audience and to monetize and, and to, to do all of that. I would prefer to stay on Strava the whole time because that's where my audience is. That's where I feel the best about the mission that I'm working towards. It's just a place I'd want to stay all day if I could, but I have to go to Instagram. I have to go to Facebook. I have to go to ConvertKit. I got to go to all these different places and it's just scattered like that multi-sided network effect you've described. That's like the aspiration, right? Like one day it could all be done on Strava, but we're, there's little kernels, whether it's the club infrastructure, whether it's some communication infrastructure that we have in place. And I I could even point to you where like, there's some really interesting companies that have figured out how to do it at a very organic level. Shout out to one of our partners. There's a a small company out of Boston. You may know them, Recover Athletics. They kind of do prehab, help with running recovery and injury prevention and so forth. And they were clever was that they made it really easy that if I do a little five minute session on their app, it automatically can get uploaded into my in, into Strava, which it should. I, I mean, that's as an important part of my workout day as my five mile run. Yeah. Well, in doing so, then it's showing up in my feed. And then from my feed, now my followers are starting to see it. And, and so we've had a lot of conversations with folks like Recover and yourself to figure out, again, how do we in an authentic way introduce the community to the kinds of services like you're describing. So it's there, but it's very organic. And the next chapter within Strava is we'll continue to build out the tools to make it easier for you to, to, to get in, like you said, just engage. And, and it's really not about, it's not about selling ads. That's not what's going to be effective here. What's effective is we've partnered together to think about how we can bring something to the community. And, and I do want to give credit where credit's due. One thing I admire so much about Strava is the whole last decade has been about how do we make users the product in a lot of different social media platforms. And Strava has always remained steadfast in protecting the end user. And that's something to be commended, I think. So despite all of my very self-serving, how do I make money questions on this platform? I do want to say that I really admire the route that's been taken to date. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, we, I wish I could say that we had some sort of anti-social, you know, it was really simple. Michael and I came from this background where, it, we're simpletons by nature, at least. And uh, I'm actually not giving him his due justice. He's got a PhD in economics. He's not a simpleton. I am. And what I think about is, look, I just want to build something that somebody sees enough value in that they'll pay me for. And I just want to keep it really simple. And so by having a business where our customer is our athlete, it keeps things really clear. So that's, yeah, that's where it's come from. And we'll... Look, we do sponsorships on Strava today. We do sponsored challenges are part of our business model. Why do we do them? Turns out a sponsored challenge is way more fun than just a basic Strava challenge. It's actually really fun when the brands are engaged and offering rewards. And yeah, the brands actually pay for it because they get a really good sort of audience and, and so forth. So shades of gray here, you know, it's not by any stretch sort of, oh, we're steadfast and this is our philosophy. But again, we can look at those brands and we say they are partnered with us on creating great 
challenges that are additive to the athlete. And if we ever thought that wasn't the case, we just wouldn't do that business. So in this next section, I think this is going to be fun. When I told my audience that you were coming on the podcast, I got a record number of submissions in terms of questions that they wanted to be asked and features they wanted to discuss. So I figured we'd create this section where we talk about a couple of features that might be cool to have in the near future. We can just kind of riff on them. Good idea, okay. bad idea. Let's do it. Altitude adjusted pace. There's great adjusted pace that exists right now. Is it possible to include altitude adjusted pace on this platform? Where is Strava at with that? <laughs> okay, so the caveat here is that I would get absolutely killed by our head of product if I get out there and start making any promises. So we are just riffing here, Finn. Of course, this, we're, uh, we're just having a beer. We're, we're just, just having a beer. Features. We're having a beer. So as somebody who actually does a fair bit of training up in Tahoe, which is also about 6,000 feet, uh, absolutely get the desire to do it. I think if there's good news, anybody who's paid attention to what we've been doing with the activity upload and kind of activity edit section, which is uh, your opportunity to refine what information you want to see and what information you want to share. There's actually a fair bit of new things that have happened this summer around that. For instance, a lot of people don't even want to share their pace, period. They just, they don't sure. want others to see it. And so we've sure. made that possible. So can we see an opportunity where we could have different kinds of pace? Absolutely. The challenge we find at Strava is with 90 million athletes spread around the world, altitude adjusted sounds really great for the 2% of people who live at altitude. And for the other 98% who are you know, struggling to even find a grade in their backyard, you know, the, 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 the steepest thing they have is some bridge. They're not there. So I, if I defend our product team for a little bit, we're, there's always this trade-off between impact and authenticity and where where we can we love to look for ways where we can give the option so i could see a time in the future where there's altitude adjusted but is it at the top of the list probably not there's i had to leave with that feature because about 80 percent of my audience is located in salt lake city utah oh yeah i've got the same problem because with all my friends and not only there but also colorado we've got a big team we've got a strava team in colorado that right. actually yeah. that may be the best chance that you've got here because the team that actually builds this stuff lives at altitude so it wouldn't be surprised if i saw it but yeah haven't, haven't seen anything on the docket yet that doesn't mean that it's not there the next feature on the wish list is direct messaging. So I've met a ton of my friends on Strava, but I've had to divulge a lot of personal information in the comments section in order for the meeting to happen. And I'm curious if that is going to be a thing in the near future or if you're just thinking about it. Yeah, uh, personal pet peeve because Finn, it sounds like you and I have a very similar situation. Someone reaches out to me on a comment and now I'm, I really want to have a conversation with them. And yet, I'm going to have a conversation with a hundred other people at the same time. And it's really hard. Yes. I, the simple thing is we believe that continuing to think through the social infrastructure that's required here is paramount. What we don't want to do is just create another direct messaging feature that actually makes it problematic for people. And now you're trying to track. So I, I use this word authenticity a lot, but I really yeah. mean we want to think through what are you trying to message? What are you trying to do? What you asked earlier, you know, would there be situations for meetups and coordination? And so we're just putting a lot of thought into what is the messaging trying to accomplish mm. that you would want to use Strava versus using, again, Facebook Messenger or, or WhatsApp or, or any of the other apps. And But the short answer is there will be an evolution of communications features inside Strava in the months and, and years to come. No question. 
How about a media newsfeed? So obviously there's a currently an athlete newsfeed. Is there ever going to be this option to see any like running related news or cycling related news that kind of stands alongside that feed? Yeah, I think that this is a good example. We've touched a couple of times now on this idea of how we bring the greater community together on this platform. Mm-hmm. I think this is a good example where we're really good at user-generated content of yeah. which I think a lot of what you're describing is actually going to happen more and more from the athletes themselves. But I think there's also this professional media. We're seeing a number of great companies that we've partnered with for years that, that have this. And so we're talking to them about what's what could that look like? And you can see it today. Like There's all kinds of, not only do I, and on Strava, do I follow individuals, but it's really easy to follow clubs. Mm. And in following clubs, many of those are our brands or media outlets. So ironically, my feed today inside Strava may be a, somewhat unique to some other athletes in that it's a combination of my friends that I'm following, but also certain media that's relevant to me as a Strava athlete. And it's happening because those media outlets are, are frankly leveraging the club infrastructure to share information. So it's happening. It's just, we don't want to get into, you've got this feed for this and this feed for that. And, and it gets really clumsy. So it's just a question of execution and the right partners. We won't build that ourselves. How about having Strava sponsored coaches similar to Peloton sponsored coaches? I think Peloton sponsored coaches became really famous during the pandemic. And I'm wondering, because we talked about coaches becoming, having more of a role to play in Strava in the future. Could that ever be a thing? Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting one that I hadn't heard before, but my short answer is I highly unlikely that we would go down that path. I mean, I'll never say never, but because we're a platform and actually I like you brought Peloton up because I think it's a good contrast. They're, they're a great partner of ours. Mm. And, but the way we think about Peloton is that Peloton is offering individuals a specific workout. It's Mm. it's an activity type. It's uh, instead of choosing to go do my trail run tomorrow morning, I'm going to choose to do 30 minutes with Matt Wilpers, great trainer on Peloton. And I'm going to get a, I'm going to get a hit workout on my 30 minute stationary bike. Yeah. So it makes complete sense that Peloton would brand around their trainers and their workout experiences because you're choosing that activity. I think Strava, we're universal, we're global, and we really do aspire to create a platform where any trainer, any coach in the world should be able to support their athletes and and find athletes on Strava. And so, you know, will we potentially uh, help certain coaches and, and test things to figure out different features together, as I described to you earlier, partnering with individuals to an experiment. In fact, we have in the past, the Carmichael training systems and doing plans with them and McMillan. We've done a number of things with them in the past. So we've definitely gone and worked with others to try to figure out how we could bring particularly training content to our athletes in, in a more seamless fashion. But I think we generally think platform and yeah how to give access to as many as possible versus a specific brand around a trainer or a coach. Very cool. Last one, the ability to build out a seasonal race calendar on Strava and then to map workouts and specific runs in the lead up to that race. Yes. The forward looking calendar. So I'm probably getting a lot of trouble here, but I have literally seen beyond mock-ups. I have seen working drafts of this at various times inside Strava. It has it's not live today and I'm not pretending that it's going to be live in the next six months. This is where my, 
product team would kill me. Yeah. It is definitely something that gets talked a lot about. I think it's that line. I know if I was sitting in a product room today, the question that we would be asking is what's the social element to it? Because it goes back to an earlier question you shared. Are we a training app or are we a social app? And, and I would say we're social training, right? We're a social yeah. athlete or you know a social sports platform. And so if we're going to bring that type of calendar functionality to Strava, I would argue that the more interesting thing is not how do you get your calendar and your training plan in there, but what does it feel like relative to your peers? What is it? How are we bringing a social or a Strava element to it that's unique that you can't find elsewhere? Th- that would be the goal. And that I haven't seen yet. So uh, yeah, it's, but I, I, that is a conversation that has been inside Strava for years because you're absolutely right. It would, you know, to be able to see the, the plan versus actual and then adjust accordingly could be, could be really fun. And I just want to remind the Strava product team, we're just riffing. We're just having a beer. That's right. This is just all in jest. Exactly. So this last section, it's the name is being workshopped. I tell every guest, it's either the lightning round, it's a quick and dirty, or we're still working on the name, but are you ready for whatever this round is called? Let's give it a go. Yeah. (laughs) As ready as I'll ever be. If it was somehow possible, which pre-Strava historical athlete would you want to see the Strava logs for? And why? Oh, well, I'll go to a hometown favorite, Greg Lamont. So I grew up in Reno, Nevada, and Greg Lamont was the hometown hero. You know, that's where he did all of his training. Was right there in the Sierra Nevadas and and just outside of Reno there. So I, I got to attest, if I could have somebody's training back in the days in the eighties and early nineties, then when he was winning the tour, that'd be pretty special. Awesome. We talked about this earlier, but, and we've talked about Kipchoge and Courtney DeWalter, which current athlete do you wish was on Strava that isn't besides those two? Oh, besides them? Ah, oh, cause they're so good. Who else other than these, these runners? Cause that's what I've been just addicted to lately <laughs> that isn't on the platform today. You know, it'd be fun to get one of these mega stars that like, I gotta admit, I'm fascinated by a LeBron or Lewis Hamilton. We were talking earlier about Formula One. I've just become fascinated with how someone like Lewis Hamilton can stay on the top of his game seven years in a row. And when you look at how competitive and how thin the margins are of victory, something's going on those other six days a week that's pretty special. So I'd actually reach out to some of these sort of very different sports than you see on Strava today because I'd love to see their training. I don't need to see LeBron's basketball game on Strava, but I just want to understand how somebody who stays at the top of his game for that long and is that influential, what is he doing six days a week? That would be really fun. That's a fantastic answer. I mean, same thing with Tom Brady. Tom Brady comes to mind too. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I mean, these um, guys, they're iconic brands in their own right, but they're clearly doing something on a training side of things that we could all learn from. I'm obsessed with anybody over the age of 40 that's still elite like that. That I mean, that's like a new theme in humanity right now. And yeah. they're like the two beacons for it. Are there any features, any Strava features that were built over the years that you were surprised were a hit with users? Hmm. It's probably easy, but it is true. I mean, the advent of segments... You know, I'm going to give credit words to, there's a gentleman named Davey Kitchell. I always want to give him credit. He's, I, I refer to him in the most sort of um, 
loving way as our mad scientist. He was right there day one with Michael and I, and he's the one who came up with auto identifying the climb that became the segment. And I, I don't think at the time we really were just trying to address a very special need that cyclists had. And we never could have imagined the, the life that those would take on and, and how important they've become to all of our athletes. You have to dig in a little bit. As a new athlete, it's a little yeah. hard to understand. But then once you are, it's just such a fun element of training and it, it just adds a new dimension. Very cool. In terms of the evolution of devices, like, like the whoop strap and the Oura ring and all the health metrics that they're capturing, are there any particular metrics that you're excited to incorporate into a Strava profile? Yeah, I'll name one since it's a lightning round. Sleep. I actually am really fascinated. You mentioned Whoop and Aura. I happen to be an Aura Ring user, but I've got plenty of friends who love their Me Whoop. Too. Yeah, they're, and the irony is, I was wearing my Whoop 24 hours a day, and then I actually st- I only wear it at night now because I just I find I have other ways to track my waking hours, but getting those that sleep data and understanding the correlation between sleep and my training there's no question like it's just it's there is so much insight to be gained there so yeah if i could wave my magic wand and this is an area we spend a lot of time on again because we have so many device partners trying to understand the way in which we can incorporate this data in an authentic way, I keep using that word, but we really mean it. Like, how is this relevant to the Strava experience? But for me personally, sleep would be a fun one. That one, and I'm excited about the run power. I've been a stride user for a number of years now, and we've been hesitant to bring run power to Strava, but I think that that day is coming. Very cool. Those are run, very cool. Last question. You're obviously working very diligently on Strava at the moment. So do you have any requests for other types of startups in the endurance sports space, like Strava for X? Yeah, Strava. Well, I I will say this. We went very deep to build for Strava for cycling, Strava for running and those core. And then over time, what we've actually found is that we can't do it for the 50 other sports. There's just so many things we need to do across the platform that are really, I almost call sport agnostic. We've touched on a number of things, whether it's direct communications, whether it's elements of training that go across sports. So you're right. I love when I see apps today. In fact, I just talked to one this morning that's going very deep for rowing. The irony here, Michael and I are rowers, and yet we need somebody else to go build that. But um, really excited about what people are doing in what might look like that niche sport. But they can do that. That's perfect to do Strava for rowing, Strava for golf, Strava for ski mountaineering, Strava for team sports, Strava for the soccer and the basketball. These are things. Nutrition. Exactly. There's these areas where I think that people can take, take cues from what Strava has done, go that inch wide mile deep in that sport. And the advantage they now have is we'll partner. We'll figure out a way to introduce them to that app in such a way that's what they're using to track and that's what they're using to get their deep analytics. But then we can connect them into the Strava community so they can get a lot of that social. So that to me is exciting. If, if, as I talk, and that's, I'm really lucky in my day job that I spent a lot of time talking to these other companies and hopefully inspiring them that, hey, this is how we did it. And if you do it, we're here to help. We'll plug you into the community. We're going to wind down here. I've had an absolute blast talking with you. Cannot thank you enough for your time. Are there any initiatives that you're working on in particular that you want to plug here? And where can people find you on social media if you're active there? 
Well, I answer the, the latter one first. My kids, I got twin boys that are 20 years old and they give me a very hard time because I, I cannot understand social media with the exception of one. So you can find me on Strava. Super easy. Just look for my name, Mark Ganey. Please reach out anytime. You can reach me at markestrava.com. I actually still use email. I know it's crazy, but it works really well. I respond to everybody. So that's the fastest way to track me down. Do not try to follow me on Instagram or Snapchat. I'm a consumer there. I am not a creator. You will be really bored. All my creation happens on, on Strava. And uh, yeah, from an initiative perspective, I, I, I spend my time today as chairman of Strava, partnered with Michael. He's the CEO today and running the daily operations. And you know, I help our Metro team that we were describing earlier and, and watch what they're up to. But yeah, just I just want to thank your your listeners. If they're listening, hopefully they're on Strava and we, we really appreciate them as members. Awesome. Well, thanks again. And until next time. That's great, Finn. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening. As always, I'd like to reflect on some of the points Mark made that I think merit further consideration. The first, uh, when we talked about the trade-offs between building a social media app versus a training app, I thought Mark made a particularly interesting point. He said it's not about being the best at either. It's about the magic that happens when you combine essential elements of both. And I think there's incredible value capture in that intersection. Number two, I really enjoyed the thread on Mark's inch-wide, mile-deep philosophy of entrepreneurship, and I thought it bared repeating when he clarified the differences between a go-to-market strategy versus a long-term vision. When you go really niche, like Strava did with hardcore cyclists, yeah, you will be criticized. You'll be told, for example, that there isn't a big enough addressable market, but as Mark reminds us, what you were doing in that process, in that early stage, is developing category leadership. And if you're really authentic, if you go deep serving that particular audience, you actually earn the right after some time to look for expansion opportunities. And oftentimes it will be that exact same audience that will help you. You just have to recognize early on that you can't be everything to every athlete. That's left for the long-term vision. In the meantime, go narrow. Uh, Three, I really liked our conversation on ways to increase the serendipity of social connections on this platform. And Mark raised a really good framework for this that we need to think about it along the lines of helping people discover opportunity versus maintaining privacy. Four, I really liked our discussion on the fundamental elements of Strava's business model, which are somewhat peculiar in the market of social media platforms. Uh, Because of the way they're structured, they don't need to conjure up ways to have the community constantly logging into the app and being exposed to ads. They actually promote the stat that for every one minute of app usage, another 55 minutes is spent in activity, which is incredible. Uh, Before I sign off, there's actually one thing I want to mention, and that is a thank you to all the people that reached out over email and social media about that proposed 100-mile race course in the central Wasatch Range. Some of you sent me Gaia maps. Some of you said you'd intro us to the right people at Forest Service. Some said you'd volunteer at aid stations. Others said you'd even help sponsor the race. And that's so cool. It actually makes me think of something entirely different though. And this is a message to anyone who has ever thought about being a content creator and publicizing your opinions. Yes, there will be pushback. That is inevitable. There will also be incredible opportunities that come your way. Opportunities that you never could have imagined. And for the record, I say that as someone with a tiny audience right now. 
By and large, most of our lives are spent on the outbound. We typically have to reach out to others to get what we want, to be connected, to find opportunity. But it's when things come inbound, that is when shit gets really interesting. And I'm here to say that this inbound opportunity feature is almost a given when you start working in public on the internet. It's simply a function of what happens when you start putting yourself and your opinions out there. The internet is the greatest serendipity vehicle ever created. Okay, I am going to get off my high horse now. That was an incredibly high horse, but use that perspective for what you will. Um, until next time, this is the Single Track Podcast, and I am here to serve you. <laughs>